So the declaration is, as we receive today's offering, we are believing you for heaven opened, earth invaded, storehouses unlocked and miracles created, dreams, visions, angelic encounters and breakthroughs, an increase of your gifts and anointing, positions and promotions, provisions and resources, long life and health to go to the nations, to see more souls from every generation saved and set free, carrying kingdom revelation. Thank you, Father, that as I join my value system to yours, you will shower favour, blessings and increase upon me so that I have more than enough to co-labour with heaven and see Jesus get his full reward. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful declaration. And what I want to unpack is, because I think in this declaration, there's real mentions of the true riches. These are loads of references to true riches. Dreams, visions, angelic encounters, breakthroughs, gifts and anointings. And I want to unpack a parable that Jesus told of how generosity and stewardship positions the heart for true riches. So I'm going to read that parable to you, then we'll unpack it. It says in um, Luke chapter 16, it says that Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in one of his manager's debtors, or his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. And this is the surprising bit in the parable. When Jesus tells a parable, he says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, wisely, or he was streetwise. For the people of this world are more shrewd streetwise in their dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling money or worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So it's quite a complicated parable, and there's lots of angles and things in that that Jesus is teaching. So I want us to know right at the beginning that Jesus is not after your money. You know, that 
And we're not after your money in telling you this message this morning, this parable this morning. We're having an offering later on, but it's our normal offering. We're not going to ask you to do any more. But Jesus in these verses is really saying that your relationship with money is a powerful thing in shaping your heart. It's a powerful thing in shaping your heart culture. It's a powerful thing in shaping um, the ability of God's word to um, grow up in your heart. In another parable, in the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about the love for other things can choke out the seed. Or the desire for wealth can choke out the seed. So Jesus doesn't need anything. And I can honestly say I don't know what people give. So my goal this morning is really that when we make these declarations that we can connect and be fully convinced and assured that in our giving we're creating a heart culture or maintaining a heart culture that can be trusted with true riches. So my goal really isn't to actually increase what you give. It's really that when you give that you can see that it's not just going through a um, religious duty that you're commanded to give or you're told to give. Because actually Paul says in Corinthians, I don't command you to give. I don't tell you to give. It's always out of free will. It's never commanded. But that as you give and as generosity increases amongst us, we can see actually we are believing you, Jesus, for the true riches. In other places, Jesus does equate giving, and the apostles do that, with giving and the amount that you receive. In this instant, Jesus is talking about true riches. We're not talking about um, the measure that we use as the measure we get back. We're talking here particularly about spiritual riches, true riches, kingdom riches. In other parts of the Bible, it does give um, clear um, promises, testimony in this. The measure you use will be the measure you receive. So Jesus is always after your pleasure. He's always after your pleasure. He's always after your joy. And he's always after your freedom. And, And in this parable, we see really that Jesus is saying that the way we handle money and the way we look at money and the way we relate to money is the training ground for promotion and it's the training ground for stewarding true heavenly riches. It's like the handling of money is the kindergarten of the spiritual life. It's like reception school for the believer. It's the place where we learn to trust. It's like some of the things are in kindergarten, like we believe and get baptised because he said... And one of the other kindergartens and training grounds of the believer is, everything I have comes from you, it's all you, I serve you and not money, and so I want to be generous. It's it's the kindergarten of learning how to walk in true riches. In this story, we find that the manager is a steward of someone else's property. So a steward is someone who looks after something on behalf of someone else. And the way he um, handled money, he's commended for being shrewd. He's commended to be for being inventive, and he's commended to being quick-minded and streetwise. He understood that this money in his hand, if he stewarded it well, could actually invest in the future and make his future better. And I think that's what Jesus is saying: is look at the people around you. 
They understand something that the way they steward and look after money is they're investing in the future to make their future easy. And they're, they're streetwise with their finances. And I think the other thing that Jesus is saying in these verses is that, like the unrighteous man manager, he was stewarding something that, was on, that belonged to someone else. That we actually, as believers, steward money that isn't all ours. And so, I would say biblically I'm convinced that at least 10% of what we receive isn't actually ours. They never belong to us. Um, I think in the New Testament they don't necessarily talk about tithing, but it's not that grace took the time and said, okay, now under grace it's 7.5%. And it wasn't that it said under grace in the new covenant what Jesus has won, now the tithe is 15%. I think the new covenant, the new relationship we have through Jesus Christ um, talks more about radical generosity than it does about a percentage. But I think that because the tithe, the 10%, is something that came in before the law, it was something that Abraham did He, when he met um, Melchizedek, after that great battle, he gave 10% of his spoils before there was any legal requirement. It was just an overflow of worship. And so it would seem that the, the, that thing that Abraham did, which was 430 years before the introduction of the law, is kind of a starting point for the believer. So we're fully convinced and persuaded that of the income we have, at least 10% was never mine. And that needs to be allocated to God. For, for, for us, we're fully persuaded it needs to be the first thing we give away and not what's left at the end of the month. When you get to the end of the month, you think there's too much month for money, as people say. And, and so that's the first thing. Now, this belongs to you, God. This, this percentage is always yours. And for us, 10% is a starting point. It's more that that's the bare minimum. <laughs> I, I want to get way above that. And as long as we've done different things, we've started our year, we've just faith, targets, goals, what we're going to give away. And so I think the parallel here between the steward in the story, the manager, and our life is that we steward something that doesn't belong to us. And I think that Jesus is saying, look at how he, he's not commending his unrighteous, deceitful behaviour, but I think he's commending the fact that look at the way this guy uses stewardship for his own benefit. Look, the, the people of the world are shrewd, they're wise, they're, they're, they're streetwise, they're inventive, they're quick, they understand money. So I think he's saying, look, some of the money that you have every month isn't yours, you're stewarding it on behalf of God. Make it work for you. Make sure that you don't love it, as the verse in Timothy says, the, you know, it's not money is the root of all evil, it's the love of money is the root of all evil. So make sure you're shrewd and wise with it, Give it generously to God, because that's what's setting you up for spiritual riches, true riches. And so, 10% of our income isn't God's. And I think then you can say that it's from the Malachi verse, bring it into the storehouse. It was In the Old Testament, it was for, for paying the priest. It was for paying the, 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 the spiritual part of Israel. And now I think we can say, actually, that 10% comes into the storehouse, which is local church, so that local church can do its mission, so that lo- local church can, can f- fulfil the mission of God in the earth. And so it's like 
God, of all this income I've got, this first 10%, this first percentage, this thing of generosity, that belongs to you. And I'm stewarding that and I'm pouring it into um, what you're doing in the earth so that the local church can fulfil its mission. So, and people might say, but I want to... I want to particularly give to that particular cause, I don't want to give to local church, then I think that's where the offering comes in. You say, no, give you, give you, give you into local church so that local church can fulfil its mission and, and, and fulfil the mission of the gospel going forward and seeing the extension of the kingdom. Then if there are other things on your heart, like we have, uh, and maybe an orphanage, our friends working in, in, in another nation, then that, that doesn't come a percentage out of that. That's offering. That's above and beyond. That's how we personally organised, because that's God's. So, otherwise we're not being really generous, are we? Because actually if we're hearing a need, and then we just take out of God's to give over here, and now you've actually just given what wasn't yours. Amen. You, you can hear a need, and think, alright, what I'll do is I'll just take 50 quid or whatever off my giving into God's thing to divert over here. Well, you've just been generous with someone else's money. <laughs> And I think that that's where the, the importance of stewardship, this never belonged to me. This never belonged to me. This is always yours, God. To go into local church, for local church to fulfil its mission. And so, this handling of what is a small thing, so Jesus is saying, look, if we're faithful with a small thing, we'll be faithful with much. Handling money is a small thing. That's what he's saying. But the big thing, the big thing is handling spiritual wealth, kingdom wealth, kingdom resources. That's the big thing. And my stewardship of the small thing, money, with generosity and integrity, sets you up, sets me up for the spiritual thing. And so, it's like someone once said, the wallet is the hardest place to be converted. <laughs> and it's like a conversion to generosity. It's like when we first, when we weren't, didn't know about Jesus, and, and someone talked to us about Jesus, initially, for many of us, the idea of talking about Jesus was really annoying. We didn't want to hear about Jesus. I didn't want conversations about God. I wasn't interested in God. But when I came to know Jesus, I couldn't hear enough about Jesus. I was converted to him, and then I was passionate about him. I'm all in. I'm one of them. You know? You go to church and you see people sing, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. And then you meet him, and you're one of them. I'm now one of the crazies. <laughs> I'm now one of the ones who's got a college with I love Jesus stuck on my pencil case. <laughs> and I think the similar thing happens with money. Like when, we, when we don't have a conversion to generosity, we, you can hear this, and it might even be annoying you right now. Because you think, I don't want to hear about money. Because but when there's a conversion to the spiritual reality of generosity, you think, I want to be in on this. Amen. I want to be in on this. I want to be partnering with God. I want to be partnering with God for the fulfilling of global mission to see Christ known everywhere through local church. 
And it's important that we understand that we are not saying you can buy spiritual riches from God. Not saying that. Not saying that God is there as some reluctant father looking to see whether all the maths tot up and then if he sees enough numbers he then releases spiritual blessing. This verse is not saying that and we're not saying that. It's like we read it back, remember the story of Abraham that you can read in Romans 4. It says Abraham didn't work to inherit the promise of a son. It came as a gift. Now, if, if he had worked for it, the, the, the writer says, that would have been a wage. He would have got what he deserved. And later on it says that Abraham was circumcised as an outward sign that he belonged to God. But the, the work, the sign, was a confirmation and proof that he had received a promise. It wasn't through the circumcision that he met some criteria for God then to bless. It was because it came as sheer gift to him. And then the outward expression was, yeah, I'm all yours, God. I belong to you. And circumcision was a sign of covenant. We belong to God. The work of that was not in order to fulfill some criteria for God to do a promise. So everything in the kingdom comes as pure gift, gratis and free. That's why the um, spiritual gifts are called grace gifts. They're grace, gratis, it's free. (laughs) You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. It's not that if you were giving 10% and then gave 11, you'd get more prophetic words. (laughs) It's not that if you want to see more healing, you think, right, I've got to get to as close to 20% as I can because... I'm sure the healing gifts, they must be around the 20%. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to see lots of people saved. Then, oh, maybe that's 30. How much is that, God? <laughs> no, the, the, the giving of finance is a manifestation of something has happened in my heart. It's a heart response. I'm not buying anything from God. It's a heart response that I understand that true riches, eternal riches is what I really, really want. And it's a response that says, I want the soil, the culture, the environment of my heart to not love money. Because I don't want to have two masters. That's what it's really about. It's a... Jesus talks about money for the state of our heart, not to buy things from him or earn things from him or deserve things from him. What we truly deserve was to be separated from God for eternity. That's what we really, really deserved. And it says in Ephesians, but God, rich in mercy because of his great love, while we were dead, made us alive. Don't deserve anything. Anything. It's all free. It's all (coughs) free. And yet, I have a responsibility to steward my heart really, really well. Because I'm not powerless and I'm not a victim. I get choices. And so these verses are about, I want one master. I'm only having one master. 
Am I only going to have one master in my life? And it's not going to be money. Because money is a cruel taskmaster. It can absolutely destroy the poor and it can absolutely destroy the rich. You can be super wealthy and have a generous free heart. And you can be super, super wealthy and be under the tyranny of money, the slavery of money, the fear of losing money, the fear of not having enough. And you can have nothing and you can be a slave to money. And you can believe that if we just had, if we just had, if we just had, we would be better. And it can drive and make you fearful of even losing the little that you feel you've got. And so Jesus is always after freedom. It's like in Egypt where he heard the cries of his people. Do you remember when the slave driver was making them make straw with bricks without straw? And he saw that, that moved the heart of God. And he wanted to liberate them to freedom. Out of slavery, out of captivity. And so these verses are about that. Be a good steward. And it's all about grace. Be good soil for the true riches to grow. But Jesus does make the link, though, between handling very little and being trusted with much. And so I get into this kingdom and I get in free. I get in free through the finished work of Jesus. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus achieved. It's Jesus' life. It's Jesus' death. It's Jesus' resurrection. It's what Jesus achieved at the cross that gets me in. When Jesus said, it's finished, he meant it's finished. He didn't say it's finished, little asterisk apart from their giving. <laughs> it wasn't some small print. Did you read the small print? No, it's, it's finished. But somehow the way I get to um, steward and choose and the choices I make, money is part of being entrusted and promoted. Because Jesus is saying, so you, he just says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. And I just want to say this to you, because some of you might be thinking, but I can't, I'm not in a set of circumstances where I'm even permitted to give. You know, if you're married to a non-believer, and you can think, you're not saying that I'm robbing God, are you? I'm not. Because some of you just may not be able to. just might be your circumstances, your situation. You're not able to. You don't have the liberty. But what you could do, you could say, shall we do an experiment for six months? You might say, can we experiment with giving? We're going to give him 10% for six months and we'll see what God will do. I had amazing stories of business guys who, who just have done that, experimenting. And they might say, no, 10% is too much. Can we experiment with this amount? Well, let's have a go. Let's invest it. We'll, we'll be a wise, screwed investor. We'll invest in the kingdom. See if be open, that person will be open to experiment and have a go and see what God will do. So whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you're not being trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So this stewardship leads to promotion. Because we can have a spiritual view of life. It's kind of a lottery. You remember the lottery advert? It's you. (laughs) That finger used to come. My numbers came up. It's you. And we can have that. 
kind of idea, but Jesus is saying there's no lottery in the kingdom. Mm. That, that actually a shrewd investment in the things of God leads you to spiritual true riches. So it's not kind of randomly waiting for maybe God, maybe God, maybe God. I'm not buying it from you, God, but I'm positioning my heart for the true riches. And actually it's a stewardship of what you have. That you think, this is what I've got in my hand, and it might only be two pounds, it might only be this, it might only be that. But you think, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to sow it into the purposes of God. I'm going to experiment. I'm going to take a step. In the end, finishing with this. Jesus is after our hearts. And he doesn't want us to think that we can have two masters. And he says this, actually, this incredibly powerful thing, where he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is where we get right to the heart of it. That Jesus is saying that our attitude to money can take us on a road which can lead to actually hating and despising and finding God repugnant. That's what he's saying. He's saying you can actually have a stewardship of money that leads you to a place where your loyalty is no longer God, but you end up hating God. And I think that's what he's after here. He's after our hearts. He's after our allegiance. He's after our loyalty. He's after our trust. And I have heard in these things, we, we want to be so careful not to distort something that is, is, is so much like walking on a tightrope. Because I have heard it said to people, if you do not give now, God will not bless you. And it can lead people to superstition, fear and anxiety. And thinking, if I don't do this, he, he's going to remove his hand off me, my life. And he won't bless me anymore. He won't father me anymore. The, the, the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Because yeah. fear has to do with punishment. And those who fear have not been made perfect in love. So if the motivation is fear, fear of him removing something, fear of him removing a blessing, superstitious fear, or if I don't give, it won't work out for me, that's not God's voice, and that's not the kingdom of God. God's always after your freedom, he's always after your pleasure, he's always after your joy. This is about, I do not want my heart to be positioned in such a way that I end up despising you God and hating you God but I want to position my heart to always be positioned in love and devotion and so for us Rochelle and I have had moments in our life where we were in a local church and the local church was really struggling financially and they were taking up an offering to help get out of a financial difficulty I think they just planted a church we just planted a church and there was a lot of people who weren't 50 people had gone and for whatever reason, our hearts weren't in a great place. I don't know if you've ever been like that in local church, your heart isn't in a great place. And we knew it. And so when the topic of offering came up, it touched a raw nerve. 
It touched, it touched a reaction. And I still remember the phone conversation we had where we said, because that's touched a raw nerve, we are going to double anything we said we're going to do. Because we were stewarding our hearts in that moment. Because we, we did not want to get into a place of, of any kind of root or any kind of issue or any kind of weed getting in the soil. And it was like in giving, we, it was like we radically went after a thorn. It was like we radically went after a rock or a weed and we plucked it out. And I think joy came immediately after and contentment came and we're in this together. It was like we went from subject of money to wow, we're on a mission together. And, and for us, stewarding money well has been really at the core of our joy. I think chef stories of, I think I do remember the, the church was going for a building and we needed to raise £74,000 in two weeks. And we had just got married, I think, so we had in our bank account our wedding money. But we were just so gripped by, I want to I be on this mission. And we, I think we gave a thousand of our wedding money. We went to buy fridges and freezers and stuff. And it's not to, it's just to give you examples of the joy that happens when you're gripped by mission and gripped by God's purpose in the earth and you're gripped by thinking, wow, there's a building, we can see souls saved, we can see mission, we can see something happen. I'm gripped by a vision. I'm pouring it into you in generosity, God. Just to say this, and this is not to condemn you, but your view of money really reveals who you're really loyal to and who you really trust and who you're really devoted to. He is God. He is God. He's the sustainer and creator and the Lord of the whole universe. He is not a person who just makes us have a nice feeling. He rules the whole universe. Everything is his story. Everything's about him. And Jesus is saying in this parable, your view of money reveals honestly who you worship, who you trust, and who you're devoted to, and who you're loyal to. And so you can come into a beautiful worship setting, enjoy the music, enjoy the moment, but you don't want to go back home to the slave driver called money. You want to live in the beauty and the freedom of him all the time. So you're not buying it for him, you're saying, my heart is yours. Be at home in this heart. If you want the TV by the window, have the TV by the window. Because we're not in a visitational moment. We're in, he inhabits us. And so I want him to be at home in the culture of my heart. I don't want to be on a road that's going to lead to potentially despising and hating and finding him repugnant because he touches my real God, money. I want that to bow to him. I want to be converted. I want to be converted to radical generosity to see the mission of the church impact the whole earth, to play our part in his good, in his, in his story. Yeah, so Jesus, we thank you that you're such a wonderful, wonderful king. You're such a beautiful, beautiful God. We thank you that you're always after expansion. You're always after our joy. You're always after our freedom. You're always after us to be into a place where we're not driven by a slave driver. 
You want us to be in a place where we can radically be loyal to you without running everything by money and asking money's permission. That we can just come to you and say, I'm in Jesus, I'm in Jesus. I'm not running this by money to check whether money says yes and money says no. And we thank you, Jesus, that our heart culture positions us for the true riches. Because we only want one master, one, one Lord. We only want one king. You're such a good father. We want you ruling over the whole of the kingdom of our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. For any here just who need a conversion to generosity, I pray that God, that they would know your faithfulness. I pray that God, even as we do this declaration this morning, that you would get so excited and want to be in. Yeah, I just thank you that you so often motivate us, God, by... Um, we want to get in. We want to be in. We want to be on the adventure. Amen.